On today's episode 10, I am honored to have joining me Mike Thielen, co-founder of Feast Portland, one of the country's premier food festivals and my personal favorite event of the year. Not only does Feast celebrate the bounty of Oregon's culinary riches, featuring chefs from near and far, it's raised over $500,000 for hunger relief charities thus far. But long before Feast, Mike has been shining the spotlight bright on Portland's food scene, first as a restaurant columnist and critic for Willamette Week, then as the founding co-editor of Eater Portland, and as a contributing food writer for Portland Monthly Magazine. Nationally, some of you might recognize him from his regular appearances on the Cooking Channel's popular show, Unique Eats. But most of the time, Mike prefers to stay behind the scenes, where his gift for programming has made for some of the most memorable food moments the city has had the pleasure of experiencing. He's a doer, a creator, a builder, a natural connector, and truly a great example of why food people are the best people. Mike Thielen, it's so great to have you on the show. Hey, thank you for inviting me. I love I love getting invited to stuff. So, and I'll always when you invite me to things, um, whether real in I, in real life or digital, I'm I'm always there, Judy. I appreciate, it. and I've gotten many invites for you from over over the years, and I, I sincerely true. appreciate it. Yeah, well, you invite me to all sorts of things. anything that you're working on. You always invite me out, and I appreciate it because you know some of the things that you work on are very hard to get tickets for. So, <laughs> oh yeah, well. You know, it's probably not my doing. The reason is that, but you know, I'll take it. Right, right. Well, I always enjoy talking to you because when I think about food people, you are one of the first peoples, right? The first persons I was introduced to when I came back to Portland. You know, I was living in New York. I came back to Portland, and I was still working in New York, but you know, I was trying to make my way, introduce myself with the people, you know, in my hometown. And a lot has changed, and. The food scene had really blossomed and it was, it became like one of the first people that um, it was, everyone was like, do you know Mike Thielen? Do you know Mike Thielen? I said, no, but I, sh- I guess I should meet Mike Thielen. And when I met you, you were so generous. We met for coffee. And then within a month, like you had introduced me to pretty much everyone I needed to know in Portland. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I don't, I mean, I, did we have coffee first or did we go eat lunch first? Because I remember specifically one of our early meetups. Do you remember we went to Ping? Right. Yeah, that's was- right. I should I should clarify. We yeah. we had lunch and then yeah. you um, introduced me to a bunch of people who I then had coffee with all okay. within a month. Okay. But yes, let's let's talk about that first meeting because we had lunch and I it was great. <laughs> You bring it up because you said I was one of the first people that you noticed that I, I took pictures of my food, right? And this was back yeah, in, I don't know, what year was that? This was new thing. This was 20, 2011. This was even before Feast. This is before, I mean, this literally, I remember like the food came and there was this awesome little table at Ping that was like back in the corner. And it was really, I always asked for the specific table because it was like super private and super cool. And it was like one of the best little cozy nooks in town. And we ordered what we would order at, at Ping, I know always laksa. The laksa there was delicious. Mm-hmm. I remember you stood up on your chair and, <laughs> and started taking photos of the food. I've never, I was like, what the hell is going on? Like literally, and, and now I realize you were just an early adopter. Like, See, I, I don't remember standing up on my chair. That doesn't seem very, but I do, I'm sure. 
Right. I'm sure I stood up. I'm sure I stood up. For the purposes of dramatization and and making the story better, <laughs> let's just say you stood on the table. But <laughs> right. the, the point was you got an incredibly good angle, and um, probably maybe you shared those photos on Instagram. But I think it, our first meetup might might have predated the invention of Instagram. It was pre Instagram. Right, Facebook. Yeah. It was just Facebook, right? I was just sharing it on Facebook. But yeah, and we laugh about that because it was, you were like, yeah, you were like, you took pictures of food. And it, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and it wasn't using a smartphone. I was actually using like a little pocket camera, like a small little pro camera, but a little one. Um, yeah, it was just for Facebook. But I, I hadn't, I, you know, I, I think I was a pretty new adopter to Instagram, but it wasn't until I worked for Travel Oregon that I was uh, introduced to the platform of Instagram. And, um, you know, my boss at that time, Kevin Wright, was the VP, suggested because he, he knew I liked to take pictures. He was like, oh, you should try this new platform called Instagram because it's just all it's photo platform. And Kevin Wright told you about Instagram? Right. Kevin, who's like, you know, doesn't post hardly anything on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Kevin, who our longtime judge at the Sandwich Invitational. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. He always wore the same shirt. So Sandwich Invitational yeah. was one of the main events at Feast Portland. And it was he was super excited because he's, you know, he likes to think of himself as a foodie and he kind of and he is. I don't want to say that he is. thinks. Yeah, he he definitely is. But um, he was but, you know, usually the judges are like chefs and, you know, food writers and notable people in food and wine. Right. But he got invited to be a judge and he loved it. And for like the week leading up to it, like around the office, he'd be talking about like his criteria and like what he's looking for in a good sandwich. And and then he you know, the first year he wore this one shirt and he had this outfit. And so when he got invited back to be a judge, I remember he he wore his lucky shirt and then it became a thing where every year he, he would wear the same outfit and I would go take a picture of him just to document feast, you know, year one, year two, year three. Right. He loved yeah, that game. Were you, were you ever a judge at the sandwich invitational? I was not. I was yeah. not ever a judge of any of the feast activities, but you know, I mean, neither was I, neither was I. <laughs> uh, no, the first, ju- I remember first judging panel was Jeffrey Steingarten, the writer from Vogue. Yes. Nicole Vogel, the publisher of Portland Monthly, mm-hmm. Whitmere Brothers, Robin Kurt Widmer, and Kevin Wright, and probably <laughs> one more person, but you might have been Karen Brooks in there too. Um, but right. uh, it was, yeah, the first year of Feast was is like very fate, faded memories. It seems like that, that first year of Feast was like so surreal. It was like watching ourselves in a movie. That seems like a long time ago, and it was. Right. Well, let's talk about the beginning of just that first year, because I so associate um, Face Portland with you. And obviously you've done we'll talk, we'll get to that. But you've done so much more than just Feast. But, you know, we t- we often talk like in our own just chit chat, mm-hmm. how people only know us from one angle of our lives. You know, it's the one angle that they know us from. But, you know, you and I, we both have done many different things, but for many people in, in here in Portland there, or, you know, nationally, they think of you as feast Portland, right? You are th- that. And I, I always joke, I call um, you the unofficial mayor of Portland. So uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in the best way, because, you know, there was, if you were the mayor, you would be the best mayor um, because you highlight all the best things about this city. But let's talk about that first year. Want that job, but thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that first year was so fun because yeah. a that was the year that we met. Yeah. Um, but it was so exciting taking we met this. Dr. 
Yes. So Josh, we were trying to, we were trying to figure out exactly what that connection was. Joshua Zersky, you know, great guy and knew him from New York. And when I was moving out to Portland, he mentioned that I should, you know, get to know you. And then we had a mutual connection with Carrie Welch Mm because she was um, doing PR for Food Network Mm -hmm. back in New York. And I, I was on a few episodes of various Food Network things. And so when I was moving to Portland, I just posted it on Facebook. I said, I'm moving to Portland. And she was very sweet. She sent me this note and said, oh, Judy Ann, you're going to love it. It's amazing here. And she was telling me about it. And I, I said, Carrie, I'm from Portland. I mean, she's like, oh, really? Because she had just recently moved to Portland. So I always thought that was quite funny. Well, you knew Carrie in New York? Yeah. I, I knew Carrie. I know that. That's, wow. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I knew Carrie from, I was working at the French Culinary Institute at the time, and Ooh. I would go on the Food Network for various, you know, things like cooking uh-huh. appearances and things like that. And so she was always the PR contact that oh. would uh, coordinate, you know, this kind of thing. And so... Um, I knew her from that. And the, so we were Facebook friends. <laughs> so so, you know, the, the crazy thing too, Carrie and I laughed about this because we, um, in 2011, I was also, uh, contributing food editor at Portland monthly or 2010. And I got this random note from somebody I didn't know from food network who said, Hey, uh, our boss is moving to Portland and we're putting together a, a care package. Her name's Carrie Welsh would you send us some food magazines? And I was like, Oh, that's super cool. And you know, then I, then oh, I yeah. all these magazines. And then literally a year later, when, when I met Carrie for the first time, we connected the dots and I was like, Oh yeah, I was, I sent you magazines for your care package. So the world <laughs> was very small and the world was even smaller in 2010. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, the, that's the connection. That's the beauty of people who work in food is like, you know, they all, they're very um, social people. So, and yeah. the, when they, when they find people that are like-minded, they like to introduce them to other like-minded people because they know that they would get along because they have this commonality, you know? Yeah. And that, that's, what's good about the, the food world. I mean, it, I think this, the conviviality of it and just how, I don't know, everyone is so friendly and you know, it's, it's, it's a fun, fun world to be a part of. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know that my, my friends and contacts in New York still talk about that first launch party of East Portland in New York, where we brought Oregon to New York. Yeah. Yep. At Saxon and Parole. Um, this was in May of 2012. And, you know, the way that came to be was it wasn't initially supposed to be a feast launch party. Travel Oregon was, was putting together a, um, a, a New York, because back then, I, I think still they did the Oregon Bounty campaign in the fall where it was all about food. and Right. It was like a media tour, media blitz, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember initially like um, Holly McPhee, who was, you know, your colleague, our colleague, who was right. like, head of brand at, at Travel Oregon, had talked about, you know, doing this event. And then it sort of morphed into, hey, let's partner with Feast because, you know, Travel Oregon was a real reason. I mean, quite frankly, one of the biggest reasons why Feast ever even happened in the first place was just the sort of moral and spiritual and all sorts of support from Travel Oregon that we got. But the conversations that we initially had about partnering on this event initially became, well, like, why don't we just make this this Oregon, New York City event a, a launch event for Feast Portland? And, you know, it was just super fun. Like we worked with, you know, this is where a lot of our common friends kind of came to be. Brad Farmery, who was at mm-hmm. Public Saxon and Pearl, longtime friend of mine and good collaborator. I produced the first Eater Awards in 2010 with Brad at right. his restaurant Public. 
And Carrie worked with Brad um, on uh, Next Iron Chef, which was a Food Network show. And, you know, I know Chris Cosentino and Brad were both on that year together. And, you know, you knew Brad. So it was like in a weird, fun way, that first year of Feast felt like a family reunion because everything we did just, I mean, don't you think it all just felt so, it, was all, it all happened so organically and so natural. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we had to fill, we had to, you know, make that party really fun. So, I mean, I invited all my uh, New York City colleagues, all the media that I knew, my friends, the chefs. And so it was great because, you know, I had moved to Portland, but it was like, hey, I'm back, <laughs> you know, and I, let's throw this huge party. And it was super fun. And to this day, I still get people saying, oh, when you get that organ party that you had in New York City was so much fun. And, you know, and, and that for a lot of people, that was their introduction to a lot of the great chefs because I remember Gregory Gorday was there and Naomi Pomeroy and lots of Aubrey and Jesse from Cacao. I think Sebastian from Cloud Forest used to be Kokanoo was there. I mean, it was this really awesome group of people. And, you know, it was like the other thing that was so special about that time, you know, and this is something I think it's important to think about with whether anything of that era, you know, and, you know, I think Feast you know, like it was this era where there was just a lot of interest in, in Portland and Oregon. And, and, you know, I think, you know, back then you would go to Portland and, you know, there were these, every neighborhood had like a really interesting coffee shop, all these very personality driven restaurants, um, you know, artisan everything. And back then a lot of the country didn't look like that. You know, it was actually hard to find good coffee in play. Even in New York, it was hard to find good, good, like quote unquote, third wave coffee. And, you know, Portland embodied this sort of like this sort of ideal that, that, that everyone was so interested in. And it was, it wasn't hype. It was real. It was, it was, you know, Portland was just, it really was having this food renaissance that, um, you know, Kevin Alexander, who wrote this great book that everyone should read called burn the ice um, you know, sort of presents, talks about Portland as like this interesting little blueprint for the food revolution of, of America. And, and, you know, Portland wasn't trying to be anything. It was just a bunch of cool people here doing cool stuff. And, you know, everyone was so interested in it. Also at that time in 2012, you know, Matt Leitner had moved from, from Castagna in Portland and had opened up a Terra and got two Michelin stars right around that time and three-star mm -hmm. review from Pete Wells in the New York Times. And Andy Ricker in 2012 opened up a Pock Pock in New York. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, and the year before, in 2011, I remember uh, the night at, at the James Beard Awards, the one time I went to the James Beard Awards where, you know, Gabe Rucker won best chef, best uh, rising star chef, you know, for, you know, which is a national award. And Andy Ricker won best chef Northwest. And then the night before at the media awards, Mark Bitterman won a James Beard award and for his salt book and Ken Forkish won a James Beard award for his bread book. So it was just this really special time that I think all of us felt very grateful to have been a part of, because it just felt like the, the, the momentum in the universe was pulling all of us along and right. it was just a very special time. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, having grown up in Portland, it being my hometown, I mean, I was so proud, <laughs> so yeah, proud that it was on this national stage, right? Yep. Getting the attention it deserved. Let's talk about that for the James Beard. You know, I was reading your in your bio. I didn't realize you were a judge for uh, 
a judge for the foundation awards. Well, yeah, it's so funny. Like with Feast, you know, um, <laughs> I, you know, I think my background was in journalism. You know, right. I, think, I think some of the younger crowd often think like my background is in marketing or PR or something. But, you know, first and mm-hmm. foremost, I'm a programming nerd. And, <laughs> and, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was uh, Kelly Clark from Willamette Week, who actually I hung out with this morning. She came by and had a coffee with me and good friend and, you know, early collaborator. Uh, she, you know, she, I was her intern in 2007 at Willamette Week. And then I became the food critic at Willamette Week and the columnist. And then I was at the, I was the first editor of Eater Portland. And, you know, I was, I was at Portland Monthly for, for a while. And so my background was journalism. And at around 2010 or 2011, I was invited to be one of the judges, you know, the way the James Beard foundation works is, you know, the, there are chefs that I think can vote who have won. And then I think the weight, the most weighted votes um, have been like the journalists, you know, right. so mm-hmm. regional committees. And I think there's 10 and there's 20 judges per region and, and the region historically for you was like, you know, Washington, Oregon, I, you know, Montana, Idaho back then. I know they've changed it, but yeah, for three or four years, I was on the, I was a, a judge. So, um, you know, when I was still in the media world. And then when I started collaborating more with chefs, um, I, I, I resigned, but, um, you know, for, for a good four years, I got to, got to be a part of that process, which was super fun. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I, I, I don't tell people this because I don't, I feel like I shouldn't tell people, but I'm a judge for the James Beard cookbook awards. <laughs> so I didn't know that. We, yeah. yeah I mean, that's why I have so many cookbooks in my house. And that's why I, oftentimes I don't buy cookbooks because mm-hmm. I, if a cookbook comes out, it usually is delivered to me, like as part of the judging <laughs> criteria, yeah. like it's, you know, but I don't so you, tell probably, you know, Ken Rubin then. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ken Rubin who's like one of the most influential food people in Portland who doesn't do anything in Portland, <laughs> but, right. yeah, but yeah, he, Ken is, uh, Ken and I did IACP together in 2010 and, um, you know, he was the kind of the head of programming and, and I was the sort of host city chair. And in many ways, that was the blueprint for Feast Portland in, in many ways. Um, and, you know, Ken is, I think, was the chair of that, of the mm-hmm. book and media awards and, you know, lives in Portland and, um, you know, but um, enjoys a very quiet life here and does all sorts of awesome things all over the country and all over the world. Right. I feel like there's a lot of people like that in Portland. Like Portland oh, cool. has an abundance of like uh, uh, national writers and national contributors for things. And then they quietly live in Portland, have a beautiful life. And they don't, you know, they're like editors at large and <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. Well, but I think that speaks to the core. Like if you think about what makes Portland, Portland, there's sort of and also why we've had a lot of growing pains in recent years is fundamentally our city. You know, we haven't, I'm just going to say out loud, we haven't done anything, per, everything perfect, you know, and, you know, I right. think, but, but I think fundamentally, like the core focus of the city has always been an obsession with quality of life. And, you know, in terms of like civic ambition, you know, like, like when you just look at things, they don't seem so, so um, innovative now because, you know, now everyone has done this, but, you know, just removing the freeway from the waterfront and creating, you know, waterfront park, you know, tearing down a parking lot and, and creating, you know, Pioneer Square, um, you know, the, the, the max trains, the, the value that we have. I think there is this overall sense of, 
you know, people, you know, really genuinely care about their city and where they live. And it also, that also explains why people are so passionate about, about activism and various causes. Like, you know, I do think people here really do give a, give a damn. Yeah. You can say it, give a shit. (laughs) You know, and I think, and I think that's an important thing to just, you know, it's, it's, I think for people outside looking in, it's, Portland could seem a head scratcher, but the truth of the matter is it's a really passionate place. And yeah, people yeah. really care, you know, yeah, and they're and vocal. Crazy. Yep. And sometimes that might be controversial, but, and yeah. then it's not for outsiders to make judgments because yeah. they're not here and they're not living and they're not seeing, you know, they're only seeing what the media oftentimes wants to portray, you know? Totally. And, and honestly too, the people who really have a problem with Portland, for whatever political reasons, they're not coming here anyways. And they never did, <laughs> so, you know, and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, the other thing too, is like I, I used to have a friend that said, if, if you're going to hate me, hate me for who I am. Right. And, and, and I think that's fair. It's like, you know, this city at its best and every place at its best is when it's doing things that reflect who, who, who someone is, who a person is, who a city is. And, you know, I'll, I'll take I'll take Portland uh, over any other place, despite any challenges it gives us. Right, but I mean, you know, you I, I appreciate that you're such an advocate for Portland. Um, but you know, you you've lived other places. You've lived all over, you know, in different cities around the world and around the mm-hmm. country. I mean, how does Portland stack up, or how does you know, not even the comparison? But I know you really love living in Spain. But uh-huh. well, <laughs> hey, I lived in Spain for a year. And it was lovely. I mean, I think ultimately it was, I, you know, there was a time, you know, my wife and I went over there to go teach English. Mm-hmm. And, you know, specifically, we didn't plan to move to Spain. We were just, we were in our late 20s. We had a house. We were getting really serious about life. And we were just sort of like, what the hell are we doing? Like, life is short. We sold our house and we moved. You know, this was back, by the way, when you could buy a house in Portland for like, nothing. Mm-hmm. And we moved to Europe and we, you know, flew to, I mean, the first thing we did, we did all sorts of things. We did a 10 day silent meditation retreat. Then we took a trip across the country in an Amtrak and we got out along the way and we took a road trip on the East coast. And then we hung out in New York city with our friends for, you know, two weeks and, mm-hmm. you know, hung out at bars in four in the morning, you know, stuff you do. <laughs> And then we flew to Switzerland and we spent like three weeks in Switzerland with friends. And then we flew to Spain. We had no intention of staying there. But when, when we were in Madrid, we just fell in love with Madrid. And, right. and then it just all sort of came to be like we found an, uh, we, we enrolled in a course to learn how to teach English as a second language. So we did that. And then we took Spanish lessons and then we got jobs as English teachers. And then we got an apartment. It was literally one of those things where, it all just kind of lined up for us. And then, you know, a year later we're, we're still there and, you know, we almost stayed longer, but uh, we, this would have been the summer of 2006. We decided to go spend a summer working on organic farms in Portugal. And, and we wow. did, yeah. And then, and then we moved back to Portland, but, you know, I've lived in port. I lived in New York for a year. You probably remember that mm-hmm. like third year of or the second year of feast after the second year of feast i always had it in my heart to want to live in new york for a year and we i did that and it's funny because there's a lot of people in portland who still think i live in new york they'll be like so how's new york and i was like i have no idea i've been there in, in two years but um 
Right, because when you move there, you live very close to one of my old apartments. <laughs> it was like, oh, you know, you're like in my old hood. Yeah, no, totally. Um, you know, with with um, yeah, I mean, you know, but lived in New York. I lived in Washington D.C. for a year. Um, I lived in Ireland for six months. I was worked at a youth hostel in Ireland. I spent all my summers in college in Glacier National Park. But yeah, Portland is always home and. And, and I always always come home to Portland and once in a while it breaks my heart and it makes me want to leave but I, I I never I can't break up with Portland right but that but that's good to know because you know I think when people are so passionate about a location a place you know sense of place and stuff like that it's like it's important that people understand that it's in reference to other places you know right. <laughs> I always joke because my my nephew loves Oregon and can't imagine living anyplace else and I was like well but have you really lived anyplace else? And he's like, I don't, I don't care. I don't need to live anyplace else. I, you know, this is the place for me. It's like, yeah, but you know, it's, I was always trying to encourage him to go to college someplace else. You know, it's like, if you're ever going to live anyplace else, do it when you're young, when you're, when you don't have obligations and see the world and then come back and live where, you know, the place that speaks to you. So. Yeah. Where did, where did he go to college? In Corvallis at Oregon state university. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I guess that's, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I was there this weekend. It was very hot. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. How, so, how did you survive this? Uh, the the heat uh, dome of twenty twenty one. I went on Saturday. You know Leslie from the Truffle Festival. She's yeah, uh huh. So lovely and a good person, and she invited us to stay at her beach house. Oh, so that's we nice. Went, we went to Yahats for a day, and that was lovely. It was sixty five degrees, and you know that. You know, this is one of those things. Like, I, I always have to be. You know how it is like both of us are in positions like where we've our job has been to promote, um, you know, like Oregon and Portland. But there's always certain things you don't tell people about, you know, like I remember once, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, Karen. So Karen, I'm, this is me sort of. I hope I hope Karen. Karen Brooks is OK with me saying this, but Karen <laughs> knows more about the farmer's markets in Portland than anyone I know. She knows she goes every single week. She takes mm-hmm. photos of produce. She knows the time to get the the stuff that you can only get, you know, from the certain vendor, like whether, you know, back in the day, it was like, you know, she was like the person who turned me on to like Gene Teal and his carrots and uh-huh. where and where to get everything and what time of year. And, and I, I was like, Karen, you know, so you should write about this. And Karen's like, no way, man. Not <laughs> you know, so there's certain things. And I think you know, the same thing too. Like I remember there was one year, a certain bar in, in Selwood that I love that is like a honky tonk bar kind of place. And it has a jukebox and it has like a, it has a really good food. And, and um, I remember, you know, I was there with a couple of media members from feast and we took them there and they're like, we're going to write about this. And literally we're like, no, you're not, you're not writing, yeah. but there's certain <laughs> things that are like sacred and, and um, you know how that is. And I feel right feel that way about certain things along the Oregon coast, like not going to mention specific places, but I will say regionally the, the stretch of coast between Waldport and, and Hasita head Florence is so magical. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's hard enough to get to it's far from cities. It requires a three hour drive from Portland, but there's just the hiking, like the way the light hits the coast, the way the, the forests and the Sayuslaw forests are just so pristine. Um, and, and it's just a 
magical place. So that's a long answer to saying that's where I was beating the heat. <laughs> 67 degrees. Well, I, I, you know, I always tell people that some of my favorite places in Oregon are the really off the beaten path places. I do tend to tell people about them only because I feel like those areas could really benefit from some tourists, you know, spending money in those areas. Totally. But I, but I know it's, I know it's so hard for them to get to as opposed to like a honky tonk bar in Portland. Yeah, so yeah. I know that if you really want to go, you, the only people who are going to go are going to people who are committed to going out there and driving like eight hours to go, you know, no, no cell service, whatever. But um, yeah, there's so many, so many amazing things. And I feel very lucky that I had the opportunity to travel so extensively throughout the state because some of my favorite parts of this, of Oregon are kind of the places that, doesn't get all the attention, you know, not the coast, not Mount Hood, not, you know, not even Crater Lake. So, yeah, you know, last summer when um, I was put into a forced sabbatical, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I used the opportunity. I was like, well, I, you know, I, you know, I can go camping. So, um, well, I, you have that sweet camper van now. I mean, yeah, do it in style. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, that was something that I picked up right before the pandemic. And, you know, it was one of those things where you're like, you know, um, you, you know, it's like, I mean, literally you're like, great, I'm unemployed and I have a camper van. And <laughs> but then it turned out being the greatest thing. Cause you know, we just, one of the first places we went, um, you know, we stuck in the Northwest for the most part. Um, I really fell in love with the Olympic peninsula. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's a special, so beautiful. Oh my God. And, and the, the mountains and, and, you know, the whole rainforest and, and it's incredible. And, and one of the other places, I don't know if you ever went to Steens mountain when you were with travel Oregon, but oh yeah, mm -hmm. I call it the Swiss Alps of Oregon. <laughs> oh my God. And it's just so pristine and it's so, you know, heart mountain. And, and, you know, I didn't go to the, well, I was actually supposed to go to the, Wallawas last week um, mm -hmm. for, to go camping, but it was, you know, being 105 degrees, it didn't sound very pleasant. Right. But, you know, we really do like, you know, Oregon is a place of just a stunningly diverse landscape. And, you know, we're just, it's just a, the Northwest in general, mm -hmm. like we're just, what a place to live. What a, what a, what a incredibly inspiring place, you know, th this pretty unparalleled in terms of just depth and breadth of natural beauty. And, you know, that, that's the other thing, like <laughs> I think on the East coast, you know, I hate to say it, but like, you know, you go to like the Catskills and you're like, where are the damn mountains? You said there were mountains. These look like hills, you know? And, and they, I, I, right. Well, we won't, we, <laughs> yeah, they call them mountains are like, you know, it's, yeah, we're like, that's, that's not a mountain. That's a hill. <laughs> well, even North Carolina, it's beautiful. But I feel like every time I'm there, I'm like, I don't get above tree line. Right. And, and, you know, and it just, you know, it's all relative and, you know, and I know that, you know, what, what North Carolina might lack in like Rocky Tops, even though that's a song about, you know, that part of the country, but what they lack in Rocky Tops, they make up for in barbecue. Right. State, but yeah, Oregon's pretty splendid. Yeah. Oregon definitely tops for uh, geographic, um, you know, attractions for sure. So when you're in your camper van, are you cooking, are you cooking gourmet meals or what are you eating? Are you eating things out of a box? What are you making? I wouldn't say gourmet. I'd say simple, you know, like there's a lot of things like, um, when we camp, I like, there's certain things I love. Like I love the tin fish section at Provador. You, uh -huh. know, I love, you know, I think, you know, really beautiful. That's fancy. I mean, it's simple, but it's fancy. Well, here's the thing though. A lot of people are surprised to know I'm mostly vegan. 
I oh, do, yeah. mm-hmm. I do eat meat, but I'm, I, I think, and I, and I, but if you're going to eat meat, I think you should, you know, you should be very mindful of what you eat and where you're getting it. And, and I, so, you know, a lot of like tuna is one of those things, like you really have to pay attention to what you're getting. And, and a lot, you know, some of the stuff that comes from Spain, I mean, it, it's pretty, pretty outstanding. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, I, I, we eat pretty healthy, you know, I, I think, mm-hmm. gosh, like, what are my, what are my go-tos? Like we make popcorn when we, when we, uh, when we camp, that's always fun. Yeah. Um, we, we do too, but I don't think we, I think your popcorn is probably much fancier than my popcorn. Well, so I'll give you my, I'll give away my secret. So Matt Leitner once turned me, he's like the best combination on popcorn, salt, nutritional yeast, garlic, garlic powder. Right. <laughs> so he, those three things add ground Szechuan peppercorn. Ooh. It is yeah. like, really like peppercorn. I, that's a new one for me. And the other thing about popcorn is I have a good cast iron wok. Uh huh. There's not a better popcorn popper out there because, like, you know, woks are so efficient with oil. Right. And, and you know, it's just so that's like. That so you is just have a lid, right? You know, or is yeah, popcorn totally. flying everywhere? <laughs> yeah, well, so that's the thing. This is where I sort of like Jerry rig it. I take my, my, I take the, the top to my like Le Creuset stock pot. I bring that with as a lid because it like covers the wok. But Got it. You know, wok is an essential thing in, in, when you're camping because it uses oil efficiently. And, you know, we always have fresh greens. I mean, I don't eat fancy really when we're on these trips, but right. we always have really good chocolate. Uh-huh. Um, we, we, you know, we will like the last trip we took, we went to Pecone's Corner and got, I think, you know, like I said, you know, we don't eat a ton of meat, but we, their sausage is phenomenal. So like literally the best pork sausage I've ever eaten. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, so we, we, you know, we'll do that, but you know, we, that we sounds delicious. That sounds del- yeah, <laughs> pretty I mean, delicious to me. We, we eat pretty simple and, yeah. and, you know, but, and I think, I don't know. When we go camping, we take, um, when we go camping, I always have in the back of our camper, some of those Jiffy Pops. You remember those from your childhood? <laughs> I do it because it's like entertainment for all the children because they didn't grow up with this. So they, you know, to see that thing go like, you know, like to blow up like that. It's probably not the most uh, good for you. Probably has like all sorts of hydrogenated oils and whatever in it. But I figure they can only have it when they go camping. Cause when we're at home, we do the same thing. We make popcorn and nutritional yeast. That was a, that was a trick taught to me by my colleague at travel Oregon, Allison Keeney, who Keeney corn, she used to make this phenomenal corn and she would make it for everyone's birthday. She would gr- bring them a bag. Um, and then only, only uh, years later, does she reveal her secret, which was that nutritional yeast, which, you know, I'm not, I, I didn't even know what nutritional yeast was. And I, once I found that out, it's like the most delicious thing on popcorn. It's like one of the most delicious things ever. Nutritional yeast needs to hire a publicist. Because, right. It yeah, sounds because just weird, right? If you didn't know, you'd be like, what is that? Are you putting yeast on my food? Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, I agree. Like, like it, it, but it's delicious and it's, you know, it's kind of a, nat- you know, natural umami. It's good mm-hmm. on a lot of things. You know, and and yeah, I mean, you can do a lot with nutritional yeast, but it's great on popcorn. But it does need to hire a publicist and rename itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I discovered that you can buy it in the bulk bins. I didn't realize that yeah. either. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, the bulk bins. You, now we're sounding like true Oregonians. We're talking about <laughs> a bunch of hippies bin. going to the bulk bins. Right? Yeah, and I remember, like, you know, growing up in Oregon, like Fred Meyer always had that weird natural food corner. 
And <laughs> remember that? So it was like, you know, it was like a store within a store. And, you know, you, like my mom for a while was like, you know, she would buy carob, not chocolate, which is like the worst trick ever played. Oh, I know. Yeah. But yeah. But, you it, know, it's supposed to be better for you. I don't know. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with, I think everyone's moving back towards chocolate. Just have less of it. I mean, you know, have good chocolate, less of it. <laughs> firmly. Yeah. But, you know, camping, good chocolate is key. Um, yeah. We, for s'mores, we definitely like we've upgraded. So we don't do the Hershey's. Like once my children got to taste uh, s'mores with better chocolate, Although I have to say that, you know, when you do the marshmallow, you really need the jet puff because every yeah. every time I use a fancy gourmet marshmallow, it doesn't melt right. <laughs> yeah, but then you like I'm totally spoiled because like, you know, you've had the 1927 s'mores and God, those are so good. Like Those are so delicious, but you need to toast them with a, a blowtorch, like yeah, a handheld yeah. blowtorch. And then they get perfect. They're real. Oh, I, I totally agree. They are phenomenal tasting but they they do fall off the stick just you know whatever gourmet chocolate that you have probably for for s'mores my children like a you know more of a milk chocolate but you know whatever is a artisan uh single origin milk chocolate (laughs) they will go for that um but yeah we make s'mores with that and also they like the chocolate graham crackers rather than just the plain i live in a chocolate obsessed household so everything has to be chocolate that's okay (laughs) i don't really like chocolate i mean i like chocolate but i don't well i I, every time i say that i have to go back and rephrase it i like chocolate like i like all flavors like in a rotation of all the flavors but in our household the halenda gene is strongly favors chocolate so when it comes to dessert or anything like that sweets they all want chocolate first and everything else falls like number 42 you know desserts all the chocolate desserts first and then anything else so i always have to appease them so but and it's made me kind of like almost not like chocolate because i have so much chocolate in this house all the time there's a lot chocolate's a broad category so you know i think for a while you know it's sort of like for a while like the whole beginning of the third wave coffee movement was like mochas were okay maybe but like all flavored coffees were like not (laughs) everything was so damn pure and it's like you know espresso and maybe a latte cappuccino and then now some of the newer coffee shops like will have like you know like like kova has like you know, heart, they all have like, maybe it's a mixed drink with like cardamom or, you know, something Mm -hmm. a little bit more, something that would have made the third waivers cringe in like 2007. And I think like, same thing with, with, with chocolate, like Aubrey and Jesse who had cacao are really, really close friends. And we used to live four blocks from cacao and I'd go there every day. And, you know, it was very much like mostly dark chocolate. Like there Mm -hmm. wasn't, even milk chocolate it was this sort of movement where it was about single origin it was about sourcing i mean the same thing we saw with 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 coffee or with with natural wine or it was just like technique sourcing and and, you know history and then it's almost like once everyone sort of agrees to that vocabulary and you get the world to a certain place where there's an understanding and respect then you can play around with everything else and you know now you're seeing like a lot of the same chocolate makers that were so like religious about, you know, just really single origin dark chocolates. Like there's a lot happening, like white chocolates. There's some really right. interesting stuff out there and like milk chocolates. I mean, it's just, there's, there's so much. 
Milk chocolate gets a bad rap, but you know, if you're just going to be eating chocolate and if it's a high quality milk chocolate, I feel like there's nothing better. It's because it melts differently Mm -hmm. on the tongue. Like it's a whole nother experience. But of course, we're talking quality, not Hershey's, not, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And and I understand too, because a lot of people here grew up drinking shit coffee and bad (laughs) eating bad chocolate. And it's almost like you have to learn classical before you can play jazz sort of mentality. Like you got to learn to respect the core thing of what it is before you can really play with it. And, you know, so I don't know, there's a lot less rigidity. I mean, think about fast food. Like I, I think I look, you look at a guy like Bill Oakley, who's does the fast food reviews and what he does is it's so cool and it's so fun. And, you know, it, it, it's so right. nice. I love Bill Oakley. He was on the show. He was on when he, I got to interview him for one of the oh, early episodes. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a cool dude. Um, but you know, you, you, you think like 15 years ago, like it's almost like the whole food system. We were all so ignorant about, everything that we couldn't even talk about fast food because you know it was all it was you know and i'm not i mean fast food in moderation you know i think i I think you know is is a good way to go but like um you know i I just think we've come a long ways like i remember when ozerski uh you know used to like he did a burger seminar at an event i did with him in austin texas in 2011 and he put american cheese on the burgers and half the food writers there were just so like Right. But it's like, a it's the, and I, I bring that up in my uh, interview with Bill Oakley. I say, um, are you even a real food person if you dismiss all fast food? Because mm-hmm. part of being a food person is understanding what is delicious. And, you know, that doesn't mean to like, to, that's when I say like even some processed food or some fast food or junk food, you cannot deny the fact that it is delicious. You may not want to eat it or support right. it or that kind of thing, but you cannot deny with your taste buzz that it is not engineered to be delicious, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I understand though, I think why, you know, like for a lot of us, growing up and, you know, I grew up, I was lucky to grow up around good food, um, you know, with, with my family, but for a lot of people, the only restaurant in town is Applebee's or, you know, like, like the town I grew up in Scappoose. I remember we got a, we got a Dairy Queen when, when, when I was in high school and it was like the biggest thing ever, but there was like no (laughs) restaurants and there was no good food and the produce wasn't really seasonal or, you know, so I think a lot of this generation sort of obsession with food, myself included, was sort of rooted in we want we expected more out of our food. Right. And there was almost a sort of rejection of like nostalgia for a while. Like, you know, we're, we're not we, you know, we're not going to talk about fast food. We're not, you know, because we're, we're talking about slow food. We're talking about farm to table. And and I think a lot of that's come full circle where people still care about sourcing and things, but there's a nostalgia to fast food that I think that, that, that people really, I mean, it's, it, we grow up with it and it's, it's a big part of like, it's sort of a big, it's a big part of, of, of our childhoods. And and that's, that's why I think it has such an appeal. Right. And it has its place. I mean, speaking of childhood, um, let's talk about like, what was it like growing up? Like, how did you become, you said you were surrounded by good food. Yeah, I mean, yeah. did your parents cook? Were you, did you go out to eat much? I, it sounds like you didn't have very many options. <laughs> so you had well, to eat at home. So the thing about my family, so my family, I was really lucky is uh, my mother was friends with like, 
we I don't know. I just grew up around interesting food and interesting people. Like our next door neighbor, Nam Suk, was from uh, Korea. And, you know, she taught my mother how to make kimchi. So, you know, we would, we, we would like, I, I, we, I grew up loving kimchi. Like I just thought it was so delicious. And, you know, um, and I still use her, her, her recipe when, when I make it. And, and, that's um, great. yeah. And, and, you know, also, uh, gosh, like my mom's best friend growing up was from Syria. So my mother knew how to make all these Syrian dishes, like, you know, interesting lamb and, and tabbouleh and, you know, things that the neighbor kids growing up in Scapoose would come over and be like, what the heck is this? You know, cause they're eating right. like, and I would stay the night at friend's house and like, be so like, my God, you know, we didn't have hot pockets and I thought it was so cool to eat hot pockets, but you know, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to eat that stuff. And my, right. mother, my mother was a cook and, you know, I have four sisters and they were older for my father's first marriage. And, you know, my sister Dottie was married to, a uh, guy from, from Jalisco, you know, Mexico and, you know, Jalisco to Mexico, um, according to him, I would never say this, uh, you know, as, 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 you know, speaking, I can't speak from experience to say this, but he would always say, you know, it is the place that is the home to so many things that are, we think of as, as just so profoundly Mexican, like, you know, mariachi music and tequila. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he would, you know, Gilbert was a good cook and he would make like, you know, he would make like the delicious, like just stewed goat. And, mm -hmm. you know, like um, we would, you know, my, I had another uh, family member, my niece, April married a, a gentleman from, from Vietnam. And, you know, we would, so I was ex just exposed to so much good food that, you know, um, it's funny. I was telling, I was telling John Taboda from Navarre the first year, you know, what I, what I wanted to do with feast. And he said, Oh, you're just trying to recreate your childhood. <laughs> you know, but, but, I, but I was fortunate, you know, I was, I was around a lot of folks and, you know, I used to think, you know, I think one of the most sort of honestly cliche things you can say that I've said before, and I would never say is that, you know, food brings us all together. Cause that's just an oversimplification. However, it does provide and can provide an entry point that gives us all something to talk about. And, right. and, and, you know, so for me, like that was really instilled in me in a young age where I just, I, I was really loved learning about people's food and people's stories. And, you know, and, and that was, that just became a lifelong obsession of mine, you know? Right. Well, the food is, you know, it is their story. It's their history, their culture. It's, it's, it's so great that you were exposed to so many different, um, ethnicity ethnicities through food you know different cultures because uh you don't mean i you're right i mean it's unfortunate that so many people don't have that opportunity because of where they live or because of the socioeconomic you know status that they are and you know and i think it's like anything it's like travel you know when you see and live and taste someone's food it's really hard to hate somebody you know no it's true and and also just the sort of you know, equalizer. Like when I was teaching Spain, teaching English in Spain, I learned pretty quickly that if, you know, you're, you would try to lead conversations in English and, you know, sometimes they wouldn't go anywhere. But I, I learned that if I could always, if I got Spaniards to talk about food, that would, <laughs> that would always, you know, because it was such, it was such an identity to them. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and it, it, it's, 
that's truthful. You know, there's, and I think that's why, you know, I think for people like me who do have done events, I mean, I think you really do have to rethink and relearn everything about how you approach and you partner with people to make sure that you're doing it in a way that this shows as much reverence and respect as you can for people's cultures. And, you know, you don't want to speak on behalf of other people. And, you know, I think I, I have learned, God, so much in the last few years, you know, and, and frankly learned that it's better to listen and not talk. <laughs> so, right. you know, there's just, you know, food is this thing that, that, you know, I don't know. It's always enchanted me. It's always been yeah. my future. And are you cooking? I know you cook quite a bit, but what do you, um, what was the last thing you made or last big meal you made? Last big meal. Okay. Well, this, this is the time of year where it's getting really easy. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you go to the farmer's market and everything is just really starting, starting to pop. Gosh. Um, so I've been obsessed. Like I said, you know, I eat, I'm not vegan, but I eat a lot of mostly plant-based when I'm at home. There's this Instagram influencer named George Lee. Have you ever, ever followed his stuff? I don't know. Maybe, but I, now I got to look him up. <laughs> George Lee. Okay. He's like 19 years old, Taiwanese. Um, uh, he's from Taiwan. He went to Paris and, and, you know, studied culinary. And now he's at the University of California, Berkeley, getting a, a degree in, in, you know, food science or something. And he, he does all plant-based, like a lot of plant-based Szechuan recipes. And they're uh -huh. like, his stuff is great. So I've learned how to do like, like his, you know, we've been making his mapu tofu. We've been making, you know, there's a lot of things like that, which, you know, right. Uh, Sounds but, delicious. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. And it's all plant-based. So, you know, but he, he finds a way of like, you know, his recipes are just really, really fantastic. So I've been, I've been cooking some of his stuff lately. Um, I've been really into, you know, Paula Wolfert wrote that book, um, Greens and Grains in the 90s. And yeah. you know, it's almost like a, a precursor, not a precursor, but it's in a similar vein as like, you know, Six Seasons. It's just a lot of really good veg vegetable and grain recipes. So I've been, I've been making things from that lately as well. And I also love Gregory uh, Gourdet's cookbook, you know, like we just made his chicken and, and it's just like. Oh, I'm going to make that chicken soon too. I have a bookmarked. <laughs> It's a good book. You know, it's, it's interesting. Like you and I both know a lot of people who write books and then there's like, there's like the books you buy because they're the coffee table pieces. They're beautiful and they explore sure. a philosophy. Yeah. Like, like, like I love Andy Ricker's books. Like Pock mm -hmm. Pock. Um, they're so full of good stories. I don't have all the ingredients or the pantry, but you know, sometimes, you know, you'll, 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 you know, you'll cook from those books, but they're just joyful to just read too. Gregory's mm -hmm. book is interesting because it ticks the box of like being a joyful book to read and look at, but also you kind of want to make every single thing in the book. And it's also like it, like some of the, the recipes, like they, they have a lot of ingredients. So it's like, you know, if you're a cookbook nerd and it sounds like you are, you're, you're, you, it requires like a little bit of a commitment where you're like, okay, I'm going to spend you know, this afternoon shopping and, right. and tomorrow prepping. So on Saturday I can make this, you know, so, so yeah, Gregory's cookbooks are real masterpiece. And, and, you know, I've been, I've been cooking a lot from that as well. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to Gregory's going to be on the on the show on the show in a few weeks, but talking about his book and I I've been I've had his cookbook and I haven't made anything from it yet, but I have a bookmark because I had to go source all the ingredients because the ingredients are not difficult to get and and no. you'll see there are several ingredients that reoccur in many of the recipes, but like my my house I don't have coconut amino acids. I don't have palm sugar. I don't have some of these things. So it was like I had to I had to get all the ingredients that were kind of specific to his book. But but once I get them, I feel like I can make multiple things from, you know, from the book. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good and that's another thing, too. Like, I love like with the we're cooking George Lee's um, recipes. I, I sort of really learned, you know, I live two blocks from H Mart in southeast Portland. And there was a lot of things from his recipes that I just never bought before. Like I, mm-hmm. most, you know, when I'd go to H Mart, I'd spend most of my time sort of on the outer aisles, which are like you know, the, the protein, Produce, yeah. and uh-huh. like the, you know, the fresh noodles and things. And, and um, you know, like, like now we have like a lot of like, you know, interesting, like, you know, so, so much of so many of his recipes and so many like Szechuan recipes are based on like, you know, different, fermented bean pastes and black vinegars and you know that that's so but like once you get those pantries you can do all these things so you know it's that's what's fun about getting a new cookbook or following a new a new personality that just you know opens opens all those doors right you get introduced to some new ingredients like you could add to your repertoire and once you get a taste especially if they're um you know like uh, even for like Korean recipes, I always want to, my sister is making something, I always <laughs> take a picture of the jar for me because sometimes it's all in Korean. I can't even tell what it is or yeah. like they're different. Like they, it's, it says in English, the same thing, like what it is, mm-hmm. but they're, but the flavor is very different. So I want her to actually take a picture of the container and show it to me. And then I go to H Mart and I look for that exact same one because it is different. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, but but those, you know, to be introduced to those ingredients, I mean, it's such a, I mean, they're just you describing those recipes. Like, I love those kind of big flavor, you know, where it's like healthy. People associate oftentimes healthy or vegan or like kind of as being, you know, it's just they feel like they're missing out, right? Because you take the protein out, you miss out on the flavor. It's like no, if you are doing it right, you're adding so much flavor, and you're not missing any of those kinds of things, you know. If you care about the climate, you shouldn't be eating meat every meal. That's just a fact. And you should be supporting, you know, I think about people like Jeff Latham and, and Nikki USA, you know, he he's supporting a lot of small farmers. And, you know, like like there's a lot of companies out there who do care, who do produce protein. And, you know, and, and, and you know, so it's not a matter of like you know, the, the flavor is there. There's a lot of cuisines from around the world that don't you know, rely on a lot of animal proteins. That's just a fact. And, right. and but, but, you know, I do think like, I, I think a lot about like, you know, like when I buy meat, I try to think very, very carefully about what I buy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and I, I think, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you, you, we can talk a lot about transportation, but our food system contributes more to climate change than, 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 than transportation. And that's just a fact. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's something, you know, we all should think about, like, you know, um, you know, and it's interesting because people sometimes are surprised to hear me say that because like, well, you do feast, and it's a big, <laughs> you know, gluttonous, you know, event. But it's like you were celebrating. But, you know, we 
no one is saying like, you know, go eat like that every single day of your life. For one, you'd probably drop dead. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, seriously, though, like I, I do think, you know, it's incumbent on all of us within food to like, you know, be leaders and make good decisions and, and you know, and, and, and be stewards because, you know, what you eat truly does matter. Right. I mean, I always say quality over quantity. And then part of the reason why I, I encourage people to cook or is, is, is you become better cooks, you you do the protein justice, right? And so you don't want to ever ruin the meat or cook it improperly or make it inedible or 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 waste even as you're butchering or as you're, you know, using these pieces like you, you know what you're doing so if you learn to cook you can make these kinds of decisions these lifestyle decisions teach them to your kids for the next generation you know that's kind of the way that we is you know we eat meat in our house but mm-hmm. it's not the main thing on the plate you no, know it's no. meat is like a seasoning or it's flavor for it so right. even if we're having chicken we're having lots of vegetables with it or and there's nothing against that and then the meat that we are buying is you know like you want to buy quality and there's certainly lots of things to love that are completely vegetarian <laughs> you know <laughs> embrace those and not think i don't even think about it as vegetarian or vegan no, it's like no, you know no, it's no, just no. yeah you know i feel pretty it's pretty nice thing to be able to live in a city where you know people really do care about sourcing and mm-hmm. I was at that Ruthie's food truck. You know about this place? It's like behind Someday Lounge. And it's a wood-fired food truck. And they really do really pretty food. But they have these, you know, they had these pork chops that, you know, they they did. And they, the, they were just incredible. And, you know, the chef came out and was telling me about how, you know, he knows the people who, who source the pigs and here's how they get them. And you're just like, this is amazing. Like mm-hmm. it's almost cliche at this point, because we know this about Portland has been said so many times, but let's not lose sight of the fact of how special that is. Like people here really do give a damn and yeah. they do care about where food comes from. And, you know, fundamentally too, like Portland at its core is like a, I think it's a food town more than anything like you know the restaurant scene is really important that's one part of it but we're also obsessed with cooking we're mm-hmm. also obsessed with our farmers markets we're obsessed with our, our specialty grocers and you know people we're just so fortunate to have so many people here that give a damn and right. you know so you know that that's that's important it makes it makes living here joyful and it makes shopping here easy <laughs> yeah for and sure fun so yeah well, I mean, what do you um, I think about like when you were <laughs> when you're growing up, like, did you have a favorite meal? Like, it sounds like you were exposed to all this great food. But do you like when you think of like nostalgia, I always think of nostalgia. There's always like there's two things I always say. Like, what was your favorite meal go- growing up? And then what is your it sounds terrible, but your death row meal like, you know, like yeah. it's probably changed. I don't and some for some people, it might be the same. OK, so my favorite meal growing up. Because my mom would make this lamb, it was a leg of lamb, and and it was a it was a Syrian dish, mm-hmm. and she would you know she would like you would puncture with with a paring knife, you know little holes into the leg of lamb, and you would you would put um, whole garlic cloves into the lamb, and, uh-huh. then, and then you would braise it with a really simple tomato sauce, mm-hmm. and as the proteins would break down, and you know the the fat would sort of 
emulsify with the tomato and, and the salt and the garlic. And it would make this just incredibly delicious, rich sauce that you would then serve over rice. And, mm-hmm. and that was my favorite thing to eat growing up. It was, you know, and, and I remember like we ate leg of lamb a lot and people, friends would come over and they'd never seen or heard of lamb. Right. Not a lot of even people grow up eating lamb, you know, unless it's part of your culture. It's not like it's not like beef and chicken. Right. Right. Yeah. But it but it is one of the most, you know, it's, you know, lamb is one of those things that is is sort of in many ways inherently pretty sustainable and, um, you know, more so than a lot of other types of protein, delicious and central to a lot of great cuisines in the world. So, yeah, it sounds it sounds I think the method of where it, I, I can imagine it being like so tender and falling off the bone, like really like with the rice, so delicious, right? Yeah. So that was good. In terms of my death row meal, honestly, like <laughs> it's been I, don't, a- I hate to call it that cuz it sounds just horrible, but you know, I I but you know, when pressed, I always like to f- ask people, yeah, what would it be? Like what would what would Mike Thielen request? Pro- oh god. What do I enjoy more than anything else? hedonistically probably a good smash burger you know like, <laughs> literally just I mean, port, you know they're Portland is sort of having this like renaissance of like you know burger dumb um, right there's a lot of good spots but uh yeah like god I, I i just a good burger like it's just such a hedonistic pleasure mm-hmm. um, you know like like um that lacy, fatty, beefy edge. Yeah. Thin, fatty, yeah. crispy, you know, kind of medium. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, American cheese, good sauce. Like, you know, I mean. It, right. It, that, that, and then, you know, some fries. I mean, that that's about. Some fries. Uh, what would you drink? What would be on this? What would you have for your beverage? Oh, man. Uh, you know, if it's, if, if I don't care and I'm dying tomorrow, fuck it. I'm having a milkshake. You know, it's going to go. <laughs> I mean, you're like, you're not talking about if you're not alive the next day, you don't have to care about how you would feel. But like, you know, like, yeah, that that's the ultimate, you know, sort of sort of combo. Um, right. What no, flavor but, milkshake? I have to be specific. What flavor milkshake? Vanilla. Um, vanilla. Also, the, I would also have to say, too, like, you know, pizza. I mean, that's one of the things is like pizza is there's a, you know, there's a reason, you know, you have this obscure sort of not really obscure, but you know, the, the fact that pizza would become probably one of the most beloved foods in all over the world is, is sort of an interesting thing, you know, it, it, but you know, pizza is like, there's certain places like Portland is so blessed with good pizza. Like you have places like lovely 50, 50, which actually kind of gets experimental with, with pizza, which isn't something you usually see. You have like Demos of pizza, which is a new spot on, you know, in the old McKellar space. It's my current go-to. Um, he, he has fantastic pizza. It's a little chefy, but also very rooted in like Connecticut traditions. But like, you know, he has pies that will have like fresh rosemary with like, you know, tomato and garlic confit. And they're just so good and so thin. And, you know, that's good. Um, I love, you know, I think, one of my favorite maybe death row meals would also be like, you know, Ken's pizza soprasada with a C- his Caesar salad. I think, you know, that's mm-hmm. that Caesar salad at Ken's has got to be like the best freaking. You know, right. Business <laughs> fighting words. And I've gotten arguments over this because, you know, the, they're, they're, you know, you, you know, Caesars are one of those things. It's like, you know, we have very, there's like philosophies about what makes a good Caesar, but I just think, you know, the, the, you know, Ken's pizza, you know, the, I love the pizza at Ken's, but the things that always like 
the fact that I can order that Caesar with my pizza is probably why I, I order pizza from them more than any other place. Right. I do love uh, any kind of salad with a pizza. Like I always have to have, for me, it's like we have pizza at our house every Friday. We make pizza. We take our pizza oven camping. And when we're talking about what we eat when we're camping, we're, you know, but um, I, I like a really, really, really good, uh, uh, like a zesty lemony uh, arugula salad with my pizza. Yeah, that's a good one too. You know, lemony and or just arugula on pizza is nice. Yeah, I, my salad usually kind of migrates on top of my pizza. Yeah. That's how I like to eat it. But but yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like Ken's Caesar salad is phenomenal. It's definitely the other, on the tops. There's also this sort of you know Midwest pizza sort of phenomenon, like the Detroit stuff. You know, ranch pizza and you know, which let's be honest, like is the most delicious thing ever. And, it's awesome. I love ranch pizza. Yeah, I mean, but it, but it also like, and I hope the 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 people that are that are the fine proprietors of Ranch, they're wonderful people, and I hope they don't yeah. mind me saying that. Man, I don't feel good afterwards, but I don't care. It was worth it. <laughs> it, was like, you know, it was like a it was like a bachelor party or like some sort of bender right. where you're just like, you know what, fuck it, I'm in the moment. I, I'm I'm gonna like, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not gonna go shy with this ranch dip. I'm just gonna right. Yeah, it's it's uh, pop pizza is really good too. We live in a pizza like Portland is like the the land of plenty when it comes to pizza. You know, there was that article that came out that declared Portland is like the best pizza city in the country. And of course, here in Portland, we're like, what? <laughs> you know, like we weren't going to argue, but at the same time, we're like better than any other city. And it got a lot of. Uh, you know, play around people were sharing it. So it was sort of, you know, something to argue about because, you know, you don't think about pizza, but I feel like that part of it. Well, I feel like part of it was because um, Portland has so many styles of pizza. Whereas like, if you go to Chicago or, you know, Detroit, like they are so committed to their pizza. I mean, they have amazing pizza, like New York pizza. If you go to New York, you basically have to have New York style pizza, you know? Right. Yeah, well, yeah, no, and I rem- so that I remember like that happened when I think Michael Russell wrote that article. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. There mm-hmm. was a feast Portland. Well, no, but he wrote it because like we were at a, there was a William Sonoma party uh, at Feast, and Anthony Falco was there, and um, I think Anthony mentioned that in passing to Michael, and Michael wrote about it. And but I've heard it. You know, Anthony does say that, and it's like Ozersky once said that New York was the best barbecue city in America, and people lost their mind because you know New York <laughs> not in, in Carolina, and it was not in Texas. But the point was, it wasn't bound by any traditions, and you had people from from those places who came and did their thing. And I would say, like you know, to, to call me you know Portland the best pizza city is a little weird because like, you know, New Haven or New York or other places like literally that have like that tradition would, you know, I I think Mm -hmm. that that argument is very strong, but Portland is a place where a lot of people who represent a lot of different styles and have a, have a lot of cred have come here and opened up pizza spots. And, you know, it's definitely one of them. It's maybe the best place to enjoy different styles of pizza in the country. So what's your plans for the summer you're going to do? Or what are you working on now? Well, we got a few things. Um, I, I think I mentioned I'm working on I'm part of a startup team. You know, I think I've always, I've always had little projects outside of Feast, kind of like you mentioned in the beginning. But I'm working on a really fun, new, cool startup that I'm a part of um, that 
Um, uh, I can't talk about it yet, but it will come out. <laughs> but, He's like, but, it's really cool, but I can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not technically. I'm on the team, but you know, I'm not. I'm not. It's not my brainchild, so you know, there's. But it, but it's exciting, and we're we're excited about it. Um, you know, and we also this year, you know, we decided to bring back feast after having to take sort of a forced sabbatical last year, like like everybody in in both the you know event and restaurant world. So you know, we decided to put together a version of feast that was appropriate for the times, and you know, it's smaller and it's intimate, and it's scrappy, and you know, we're working with the chefs to kind of envision the events. So it's just you know, really fun. And, you know, I think we're, we're putting some things into place this year that, I, that we're going to leave in place as we sort of write whatever the next chapter of Feast becomes. But, you know, it's, it's been fun. Um, the first the f- chapter one of Feast was super fun. And, you know, now we're ready to get back and, you know, create something that, that um, people can be proud of um, if we get it right and uh, that, that they'll love for the next chapter. Well, it's exciting. I mean, I bought my tickets. I bought my tickets for Eat, Drink, Man, Love. So this is part of your cinema series, the first yeah. flicks, right? And so it's basically you buy a ticket. It's outdoors, mm-hmm. like a, a giant movie screen. And then you have dinner before, right? A curated dinner um, yeah. with great partners. Yeah. And this was sort of, you know, this was kind of, I'll, I'll give, this was sort of Emily's, Emily Crowley's brainchild. You know, she had worked with um, the Fullers to help them create the whole lot venue at Zydo Yards, which was sort of an outdoor COVID friendly venue. And they were doing movies and, you know, we decided let's do dinner in a movie and let's pick iconic food movies. And we partnered with the Hollywood theater and OPB and the lot at Zydo Yards. And basically we have eat, drink, man, woman, big night, like water for chocolate and, uh, ratatouille and any all of these we asked you know chefs to kind of you know represent basically be team captains one of the things mm-hmm. we did this year so like you know we asked sarah schaefer and anna from cooperativa to be team captains for the big night and then they brought in sebastianos and montalupo and, and mastrana so you know and then we you know vitali was the team captain for you know for um Ratatouille, and he invited Philippe Boulot from the Mac Club, you know, but mm-hmm. of course Philippe is a, is a legend who won a James Beard Award at the Heathman years ago and was the chef of the Mark in New York City. I mean, just one of the most accomplished, most respected chefs around. Uh, we we had Jasper, uh, Shen, and Laura do Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, and they invited the folks at Heyday as well as the, the folks from uh, uh, Hey Earl and team. So, yeah, I mean, that was really fun, um, and it's it's different, and it's new and, and, and exciting. Um, and then we also – the next series will be the Feast Family Reunions that we do, which are – again, we worked with team captains this year, and, you know, Han and Carlo, Han – um, from Kim Jong Grill and Carlo Lamagna, they're they're team captains. They're putting together an event and curating it. Um, Rick from Lardo is doing one. Um, we have the uh, women at Nightwood. Um, you know, Shell mm-hmm. and Leah are putting together an event, and then also um, Thomas uh, and Mariah from Gato Gato and Omas. So, you know, it, it's it this year. It's been it's that's a different model, and that you know we're really you know we've always collaborated with chefs to create events and this year we're sort of taking that to the next level and you know we're also doing um this series called claim a stories feast edition which will be 
really interesting and more information coming out about that soon. But, you know, it's fun to kind of have an opportunity to reinvent. And it's like, you know, it's not, I think for, for a lot of us, you know, that that's not what we asked for prior to COVID and nobody wanted a global pandemic. And it's, you know, it's created a lot of chaos and suffering for a lot of people. So I don't want to make light of that and none of us should, but you know, on the flip side of it, I think it's, encouraged all of us, I hate to use the word force, but encouraged a lot of us to just rethink what are the, what life do we want to live? How hard do we want to work? You know, how, how fun should our projects be, you know, and Mm -hmm. I, you know, for all of us unanimously, we really wanted to kind of, um, you know, bring back some of the original spirit of feast and, you know, do something more intimate and, you know, and, and, and work with, with, you know, chefs more, you know, I think this year is a lot smaller. We can't work with a lot of our, can't work with everyone because, you know, usually like we try to invite as many people as possible to participate And this year. We just don't have the bandwidth to do that. But, um, you know, on the positive side, we're, we're just, com- you know, collaborating with people just really intimately. And, and that's really rewarding and fun. And, and, you know, so, um, yeah, Feast, I think, will be special this year. Well, I, for one, am really looking forward. And I think that we have a lot to celebrate. And it just, you know, we've missed people, right? We miss seeing people. We miss seeing food people around our chefs and everyone, you know. So I feel like this will be a nice way to, you know, say goodbye to the pandemic. You know, hello, Portland again. Um, yeah. I'm excited. So everybody, be sure to um, visit FeastPortland.com. Follow, sign up for their newsletter. Follow them on Instagram to find out the latest um, when these when um, information and tickets become available. There are some available now, but I know you're releasing information as, you know, as the, um, the events come become live. But yep. yeah, congratulations. You know, you've yeah. always... You have always been so creative and um, really been such a advocate for the city. And I appreciate that. And thank you for, (laughs) thank you for being on the show. Thanks. But, you know, part of, I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded, you know, we have a good team. We always have, we're surrounded by great talented people and, you know, um, know, a lot of people putting a lot of great energy into this, Uh, not, not just me. And, 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 you know, I think there's a lot of people in Portland right now who are excited as a city for all of us to, you know, pen the next chapter and hopefully learn from a lot of our mistakes we've made over the years as a city. And, and I, for one, am, I'm a betting man and I'm betting on Portland. <laughs> Me too. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Mike. And thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Judian.